Food Talk with Mike Colomeco is brought to you by Cento at Cento.com, Colavita at Colavita.com, and Wines of Portugal at WinesofPortugal.com. Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In the Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Uh, yeah, less. 15. Hey, <laughs> that's a little housekeeping. Hey, welcome to Michael Michael's Food Talk here at the Heritage Radio Network. Trying to do for food what ESPN did for sports. Yeah, that's us. That's us right here. That's what we're... I had no idea. It, it came to me a minute ago. My, my engineer, the engineer, the engineer of record, Liz here, who does a fabulous job putting up with all of us lunatics that bring in guests and have guests on the telephone and guests on their cell phones. And she has to make it all sound good. And it's live radio. So she doesn't have any chance to press any buttons and fix stuff. Liz told me that. So that, so when you think of Heritage Radio, think of we are trying to do for the world of food what ESPN did for sports. I like that. That's a great corollary. We're also having a Kickstarter campaign. Did I mention that? I'm going to give a shout-out every show. If you go to our website, we're looking for a few dollars from all of you that love this stuff because we're going to rebuild our studio to something state-of-the-art where um, Liz will have assistance and all sorts of boards and modulators and the ability Oh, the website, the website. Yeah, it's the website too, sorry. Just whatever, just send us your money. We'll spend it well. Trust me, it's the website we're trying to rebuild um, because our website's old and websites have a way of getting old fast these days. I've noticed that. They get they get old. You're like two years, you need a new website all the time. But we're going to build a, a brand new state-of-the-art. We have four guests today, two in studio, two not in studio. We've got Jenna Zoe, who is with me in studio. Thanks for showing up on time. <laughs> um, live in studio And then we're going to not take a commercial break We're going to bring up the music Hint, hint, Liz We're going to bring up the music And um, get the chef at Patsy's Sal Scognamillo over the phone Patsy's is an Italian-American institution In the West 50s It's one of those kinds of restaurants That's been around for three generations now um, It's no secret It was Frank Sinatra's favorite restaurant in the city he was there all the time. He had his own table. Him and Jilly were fixtures. Um, and countless other celebrities have eaten there. And it's great. It's old school Neapolitan food. They have a new cookbook out. This is like their third or fourth. We're going to talk to Sal about that cookbook. Uh, the last time I was at Patsy's was with my kids and all their friends before we went to see Nas. That was a while back. Um, and then we're going to get Deanna Henry, Henry, excuse me, who's a British cookbook author of note to talk about her new book and one of her old books. Uh, and in the studio, after that, I have Anita Shepard, who makes yogurt out of coconut milk for anybody that has issues with milk milk. I've never had her yogurt before, but we're going to try it today. All right, let's get started. How are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. So where are you from? Where's home base? Uh, London as well. England. You have that accent. Yeah, so you've got two... Two Brit, English today's our, okay. today. Today we're going to have... A bit of a theme. That's right. It's <laughs> a theme. So tell me, let's assume, and this you're not really assuming, I'll, in the interest of full disclosure. Okay. Um, when I was a kid, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, kind of like everybody ate everything. Like dinner was just like, shut up and eat. If you didn't eat, you probably got sent to your room. Nobody seemed to have allergies that I remember. Like it wasn't like it is today that's like insane. Um, it was a simpler era, and and that's true for most of the 60s and 70s and 80s. And then things began to kind of unravel. We're, we're getting a little better with the, the, you know, the study of diets and what's good or what isn't. But I kind of don't keep track with all of the trends. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to fill me in. Okay. What – the name of your book is so – let's – Right. So the name of my book is Plant-Based Paleo. Okay. Now that gives me a hint. Okay. It's, so it's Plant-Based Paleo. Uh-huh. Just roll that paleo meaning. That's a big word and I, I'm seeing it right. all the time. In the, it's in everywhere this, right it's now. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. What is it? 
Paleo um, is basically short for Paleolithic, um, oh, which I is an era. Nearly in... got out of high school, so huh? you'll have yeah. to explain when that happened. That was right. like between a couple of presidencies, or <laughs> when dinosaurs walked the earth. It was or... when dinosaurs walked the earth, exactly. Basically. Right. So um, a paleo diet is um, sort of including only things that people ate in the Paleolithic era. So it's pretty much things that either um, grew out of the ground or you had to kill. So that would be fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, meats, eggs, fish. Well, that sounds um, pretty reasonable. Right. So, so wait a minute. So hold on. So you can eat meat. Yep. If he's assuming you could track it down and yep. kill it and skin it and uh, smoke well, it. Or unless, I mean, someone else can do it for you. That's Thank fine, Thank you. That's what I don't, I'm not saying you're encouraging this for the general public. No. But so it can't, so you can eat meat and fish. And fish and eggs. So then what, so keep boring down. So what separates it from what I'm doing every day? So really what they exclude is um, sort of if you're hardcore paleo, what you'd exclude are things like processed foods, um, white sugar mostly, and dairy. Dairy. Dairy's the big one. Um, Dairy's the big one. Because mm-hmm. we weren't milking cows back then, were we? Right. We and weren't. Not, certainly not for our own, cons- you know, we weren't milking cows for our own consumption. Um, you know, you may have heard this one before, but we're the only species that consumes the milk of another of another species. Sounds um, almost like vampires. Right. Sort so, of like milk vampires. <laughs> right. Exactly. We have these whole barns full of cows giving milk twice a bloody day yeah. so that we can turn it into milk and half and half and heavy cream. Yeah. And we're the only people to do that. Absolutely. And and obviously, um, cow's milk is intended to grow a cow, you know, like a baby cow into you know, a full-size cow. So how did you get into it? I mean, what led you? So you're like 20. What got you into the paleo thing? What made you? You're, you, you're a writer. You're a dietitian. You're uh, yeah, a, I'm a nutritionist. A nutritionist. Yeah. That's the mm-hmm. word I'm looking for. Yeah. Okay. So, so you um, studied nutrition. I studied nutrition because I myself had really bad. Um, I had terrible acne growing up as a child. Um, acne? Terrible Doesn't acne. Show. Chronic acne um, for about six years. And I tried all the pills, all the creams, and nothing seemed to work on me. Um, and only in a moment of kind of just a, my lowest point of desperation was I like, okay, maybe I'll try the whole cleaning up my diet thing. Right. I wasn't a believer at all at the time. Which might have been a smart place to go first. Right. In retrospect. Yes, in but retrospect. I was I like 17 smart. at the time, right. so I just thought, I'm going to carry on eating. And we're inundated with advertisements. I mean, I watch TV. I mean, it's like, yeah, there's someone's always, the new facial cream, the new this, the new pill. Totally. I mean, it's like insane. Like, I, when I, I don't try and watch commercial TV, but I'm watching it, I'm like, I mean, they're selling a prescription drugs for like mm. manic depressive symptoms. I'm like, what right. the fuck? Like, how, how, anyway, keep, so, so right. the last, your last resort after all the other mm-hmm. stuff failed was, okay. Was food. Okay, maybe I should stop eating French fries every single day. You know, that kind of thing. Because <laughs> at the time, as, as, you know, when you're a teenager as well, you don't have all these weight hang-ups and health, yes. you know, all these problems. So you just eat what you like the taste of, really. I so I didn't really want to give that up. Um, but I did. And then I just was like an overnight convert. I was like, wow, this really works. Does everyone else know that this is like the power of what you put inside your body? That this is so cool. Like everybody else should know this. Um, it's funny. I had an editor for, I only wrote one book. It was a guide to New York city restaurants and shopping. And Justin Schwartz was my editor. He was with John Wiley and sons. Then I guess he was in his thirties, mid thirties. And at one point he did that changed his diet to like, no, Maybe no carbs. Mm-hmm. Maybe he might have cut milk. I forget what. It, and he every time like you were on Facebook, he was just going. I have never felt better. Right. My complexion. Yeah. My hair. It was like what's this? Like it was like nutty. Like the guy was like born again somehow. Yeah. Like he was losing weight. His skin felt great. His yeah. hair was getting thicker. Yeah. Um. You know, it was like really. Yeah. Why do you think that is? It's so funny because I think. Um, when we kind of buy into this thing that a pill or a cream is going to solve our problems, it's like we give our power away to that other thing. But the body kind of has, I guess, miraculous ability to heal itself. So it's not necessarily that the food has this amazing power to heal you, but it's just that it allows, the way I think of it is, is that it allows your body to heal itself. Do you know, have you heard of Seamus Mullen? Yeah. So he's a chef at Tertulia. He was, I've known him for years. He's a kid from Vermont that's really good with Spanish food. So he's always done Spanish themed restaurants. Right. And he's a, he's a, he's a dude. Yeah. Ducati motorcycle, good looking. And yeah. he got, was crippled with rheumato- rheumatoid arthritis, arthritis yeah. in his probably late 20s. And I remember like it, it was debilitating. Right. Couldn't run the restaurant, couldn't do his body. I mean, he was like, yeah. we were worried about this guy was going to make it. Wow. And he changed his diet. 
Wow. He fixed it. I think he's got a book called Hero Food or something, but he's oh, not my to guest today. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So that's your story, and mm-hmm. that's how you got into it. And it was like yeah. a, 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 like an epiphany. Mm-hmm. Like diet Completely. Can, diet yeah. can do that. I mean, I was just not a believer at all. I, I wasn't one of those people that grew up with parents who were super into eating health. Like, nothing like that. And I just was like, I just saw the results on myself and my skin cleared up. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is like magic and what did you cut out so you went i mean obviously eating french fries every day is not a good idea yeah so no, obviously never that's like idea. no brain <laughs> but what else did you eliminate so i i was actually i went super super stringent in the beginning to really just kick it and just get rid of it so it was like you know everything steamed and boiled and plain and just boring really i, I was very uninspired by food for about 18 months because i was just eating tip for function right um but then obviously when i healed my skin I wanted to still be able to enjoy healthy food, but without, um, you know, just having to be a slave to it the whole time. So Did that's you cut when milk I started. Out? Did you cut dairy out? I cut out dairy. Okay. Yeah, that was one of the most important things that I cut out um, for my skin, really, because truthfully, unless you're drinking organic milk, there's probably some kind of hormones in there which also messes with your own hormones. In and... America, don't say probably. In America, say right. there's hormones in there. Maybe <laughs> on your side. Just politically no, correct. No, no, no way. It's everywhere. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it is everywhere. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, I want to carry on being healthy, but I still want my stuff to taste good. I don't want yeah. you know everything that I put into my body to be like a plain boiled chicken and steamed broccoli or anything like that. So I started just kind of messing around with different combinations and healthier sugars and, you know, how can I make chocolate that isn't, you know, full of rubbish and blah, blah, blah. Um, and so I've been doing that now for about eight years. Um, and then, the, you know, it's sort of in the, at the same time I studied to become a nutritionist because I wanted to help other people do the same thing. And what I saw a lot of is people going crazy on, oh, okay, I'm on, I'm on a strict vegan diet or I'm on a strict paleo diet or I'm strictly gluten-free or dairy-free or all these labels that we hope are going to solve our problems. But what actually ended up happening is that any diet that's promised, that's promising you, you know, your ultimately best self and blah, 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 they'll say you can't have this and this and this, but you can have this. And I figured that, say, for example, if you're going gluten free, there's a lot of the time you say, oh, my gosh, it means I can have all these gluten free cookies that I want. And, the inter- you know, all these different products are marketed to me as gluten free and mm. I am allowed it. And you go crazy on the stuff you are allowed. Right. So um, it took a little while for me to figure out that actually, hold on, it's not about the gluten-free cookie or the meatless meat or the, um, you know, pretend carb thing or the zero blah, blah, blah. It's actually just that um, if you're mostly eating fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and fresh foods, then the rest of the 20%, it doesn't matter if meat suits you or rice suits mm. you or beans suit you or whatever, that's up to you to kind of add in the rest of the things that you... But you'd like to see 80% of the diet. To just be... fruit. Vegetables, nuts, seeds, seeds. Yeah, like, exactly. Because the nuts things now, so we're eating all sorts of weird. I mean, all right, <laughs> right, all sorts of new whole grain. Because I keep doing the whole grain thing too, and there's all this new stuff in that whole grain space. That's great. For yeah. You. Do you, are you gluten free? Um, I'm not completely gluten free. If I, you know, if I'm going to Italy or an amazing Italian restaurant, I'm not going to turn down a pasta. But again, that falls into my twenty percent, right. right? So right. it's not that I don't. Ha- it doesn't have to be this black and white crazy obsession of I'm totally vegan or I'm totally this. It's just if you're mostly um, eating sort of health enhancing natural foods, then then you can kind of chill out about the rest of the of the. So is that the crux? So when you so plant based paleo means you're sort of tilting this wheel towards the 80 percent. That's what you're suggesting. Exactly. Because if you think about those men and women wearing, you know, animal skins and throwing spears at things, my (laughs) guess was that their rate of success probably wasn't great. And the bulk right. of their diet was probably stuff they were pulling out of the ground, pulling out of trees, peeling the shells off of, yeah. versus roast lion loin. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, And it's interesting because when a lot of people go paleo now, um, they get... You know, oh, wow, I can have bacon or wow, I can have almond butter. And I've done it before. You know, you eat half the jar of almond butter every single day for a week. And then you're like, well, why are my jeans tight? (laughs) Almond butter is so healthy. You know, why can I have this? And I'm not having all this other stuff that I'm having to give up. So surely I should be able to eat something with abandon, you know. So that's where I'm kind of just trying to encourage balance. And pretty much every recipe in the book um, is the idea of it being mostly made of plants 
we make it taste good. And then if you want to add a chicken to that or some salmon or you want to add beans, if beans are your thing or hummus or rice, you know, if you're fine with the whole carb thing, that's cool too. It's just making the base of it interesting, you know? Not that if this is in your book at all, but mm. since you're in this sort of space, I'll ask a question. Yeah. What's with like the raw thing? Like why are there people that insist that – so it's not just they're going to hit me over the head with you got to eat your vegetables. Because I do. I, love, I eat tons of vegetables. Right. It's part of my normal MO. Mm-hmm. But I like to cook them. I like to right. like, put them in a pan. I have mm-hmm. garlic and onions and carrots. and mm-hmm. Just play around with them. Turn them into something that I think is better. Right. Like a raw collard green leaf no. to me is like a brontosaur. Boring. Yeah. yeah. Like, boring, bitter. Yuck. Yeah. So what's with the raw thing? It's so just like a movement? Or? The the argument with the raw thing is that um, there's a crucial component missing when you cook food, and that's the enzymes in the food. But the enzymes are the sort of the thing that make something alive. Even us as, you know, our, we're hu- are in our human bodies, the things that make us literally live are the fact that we're full of enzymes, and they're constantly kind of catalyzing uh, metabolic processes in our systems. So they're literally the things that make stuff happen, if that makes sense. So if we kill the enzymes, in whatever we're eating, we're losing something that we should be getting. But then this... Yes. Okay, whatever. But But that's not your thing. So it's not a huge dogmatic thing, but what they do say is, I mean, I don't think the thing with raw is that you don't... It doesn't have to be 100% to get the benefits from it, but, you know, trying to eat like a small side salad a day does kind of help just because the enzymes actually help you digest the food. Again, it doesn't mean that cooking vegetables is evil or anything like that. Nothing. I'm not not. about anything crazy like that at all. (laughs) So... There's a fair amount of in your book that's those great leafy greens, uh-huh. the brassicas, whatever you call yeah. them. So Swiss chard, collard greens, mm-hmm. mustard greens, kale. Mm-hmm. Talk about those because, I mean, enticing ways because yeah. there was – I was in shape my whole life. Skinny teenage kid, then in my 20s, boxed, so I had to keep my weight mm-hmm. for boxing, study karate, right. got two black belts. So through my 30s – Started to run marathons. I was ripped. And then I hit 40 mm-hmm. and something happened. My metabolism mm-hmm. slowed down mm-hmm. and had more money and I was doing stuff. So. Between 40 mm-hmm. and 50, I became a fat pig. Literally. I gained 65 pounds. And, it was, and I remember wow. one day just going, oh my God, you're disgusting. <laughs> you have to. So I started. I knew diets didn't work because they don't. Everyone that goes on a diet, when yeah. they go off the diet, they just gain weight again. Exactly. You have to change the way you're eating. Mm-hmm. Rewire your brain. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, this is not. I'm a chef. Cut back on the size of the protein. Mm-hmm. You don't need to eat a one-pound steak. or no. So cut that way down. Mm-hmm. And then instead of a vegetable, let's mm-hmm. do like three vegetable side dishes. Mm-hmm. And it worked beautifully. And I love right. it. So I love it. So talk about some recipes that you have in the book to yeah. get people stoked about eating. Because right. you, could, you could literally eat piles of vegetables. You can mm-hmm. eat vegetables with impunity. Right. And you gain no weight. If you make them interesting. If you make them interesting. Yeah. And they, they fill you up. You feel – you don't walk away right. from the table going, oh, my God, I'm starving. Not right. at all. No. You, you're sated. Your body loves what you're doing. Yeah. And it's win-win. It's like, and so do your taste buds. Yes. That's That's the important thing because I don't think you're ever going to succeed in eating healthy if you're not also enjoying it because what you see is, you know, people go, oh, well, I'm craving a brownie, but I should eat celery with peanut butter instead. You eat the celery with peanut butter, but you still have the brownie craving, so yeah. you end up eating both. So then it makes it even worse. So um, what I kind of tried to do with the book is, you know, I'm not someone who loves boring food. I did it for a while because I had to, but I hated it. It sucked the joy out of eating for me completely. Um, and so, you know, this book is full of things like, um, you know, how to make your own jicama fries or, um, you know, how to make an, an, a healthy apple crumble that you can eat for breakfast mm. and, and just really simple things though too. None of it is complicated. I'm not someone who loves to spend hours and hours and hours in the kitchen either. Um, but it's just about getting creative with like, you know, various herbs and things. So instead of just having like a plain kale salad, you know, if you can add like a scented oil to that and throw in some cilantro and some spring onion and just really simple straightforward things um you know then you have that as a base recipe and you can kind of feel empowered to sort of know how to make food taste good yourself you know it's your first book second second book yeah jesus congratulations (laughs) thank you great thanks thanks so much for coming out to brooklyn thank you for having me treat yourself i know you don't eat much carbs but I'm going to have a look around the area for sure. I you do should. hear we're housed in a, yeah. Where Roberta's and the pizza is just insane. You have yeah. to have pizza. I could smell it on the way in. I know, because Declan was eating <laughs> Before every show, he tortures me. Thanks, Declan. Um, <laughs> thanks. That's that teenage metabolism we were talking about. I yeah, guess, that's right. <laughs> Jenna Zoe's been my guest. The name of the book is? Plant-Based Paleo. Plant-Based Paleo, mm-hmm. her second book, published by? 
uh, RPS, Ryland Peterson Small. Congratulations. And you can find it on Amazon. and The usual places. Yeah, exactly. Thanks it's everywhere. so much. Thanks Thank so you much. for having me. We're going to bring in some music, and we're going to get my next guest, Sal Scognamillo, on the phone. We'll be back with him in a minute, I hope. Thanks so much. Yes, you are. Heritage Radio Network, trying to do for food what ESPN did for sport. I know, Liz, you, you opened up a can of worms. All right, Sal, how are you? Well, I'm, on, I'm on an interview. Sal, Sal, how are you? Yes, you're in an interview. Sal Scognamillo, how are you, sir? Hey, Mike, how are you, buddy? So good to talk to you. How are you doing? I can see that big face. I can see the chef's whites. I can see the Patsy's welcome. By the way, it's Patsy's Italian Restaurant. Is that how we're referring to this? Oh my God! So so good to hear you. You're doing such a good job at this show. I'm so proud. I'm happy for you, buddy. Oh, stop! We used to do back in the day when WOR was worth listening to. One of my favorite things to do every year was the Frank Sinatra birthday tribute live from Patsy's. You remember that? It, isn't it great? You know, we had we had such a good time there, and it's it's, it's funny because uh, we still do it. It's gotten bigger than ever. Last year was a 99th. I don't know how I'm going to top the 99th, but the 100th is coming up, and it's a. Uh, it's always here at, you know, Patsy's Italian Restaurant, one and only location on 56th Street in New York City. It's important for everyone to know it's only one location. One location, 56th Street, south side of the block, mid-block. Once you turn, just look up and you see that big neon sign hanging off the side of the building. Really great place. And I was trying to describe to Liz, our engineer, I said, you know, Patsy's is one of those places that back, uh, for me to, like, contextualize it, it's Patsy's Italian Restaurant, Italian-American, Neapolitan-driven cuisine, like Restaurants you used to find, and may probably still do, in in maybe Bensonhurst or Bay Ridge, South Philly, parts of Boston, West Philly. It's just great, classic, old school, great hospitality. I mean, to this day, I will not make stuffed squid at home because of your <laughs> recipe. Just anytime I've ever made it, I'm like, Patsy's is so much better. Oh my god, you're so funny, buddy. Yeah, it's it's one of our signature dishes. The uh, the uh, stuffed calamari. We sell a lot of that one too. It's very popular and. That's something you see so often in the menu, but it's something that my grandparents always did, and it's it's a great um, a great way to uh, to show people like the traditions. That's what we keep going here. I'm only the third chef, and all these years it was my grandfather Pasquale, and his nickname was Patsy, my my dad, and myself. And um, we you know I even buy from mostly the same vendors that my grandfather bought from. So we try and keep the tradition going. We try and uh, make people you know want to keep that tradition going and. And in my new cookbook, which just came out, I, which is by the way, this is the third, fourth, Se- second, believe it. Okay, because the first like, one seems like a lot. No, it's <laughs> I was one. I was losing count, and I know the first one has the stuffed calamari recipe in it. This one has recipes that weren't in the first one, obviously, because it's a different book. All um, brand new, all brand new, yeah. all different stuff. Great stories. I mean, a lot of the history of our restaurant is in here, and it's it brings uh, brings back so many great memories of myself growing up and my grandparents and everything and. These are the dishes we had at home, and now that we serve at the restaurant, too, and that's why we call it you know, Patsy's Italian Family Cookbook, because it's all about the family and 
making dishes that people, you know, you would enjoy at home and things that you can do at home. I want you, I want your listeners to know it's not complicated. These are ingredients that you're familiar with. These are ingredients that you could find at your local supermarket. Nothing you have to go crazy looking for. And and to your credit, because we're all getting a little older, we're all watching our weight. I mean, you've actually like let's just board out. Italians love eggplant. Sicilians worship eggplant, and all the chefs I know love eggplant. But one of the you know eggplant can absorb fat like a sponge absorbs water. True. Um, and a lot of the old school recipes, you know, you're frying eggplant for parmesan or eggplant rollatini. It's just you know you just. You've, you've, you're a chef. You've put oil in a rondo, put eggplant in that rondo, and it's dry, like, instantly. So you've come up, like, a couple of your recipes. I think the eggplant parm recipe, you're baking the eggplant. For yeah. another one, of the, for the caponata, if I'm not mistaken, you're cutting it up and baking it, too. Talk about that, because you're actually, in this book, you're making an effort to lighten some of the recipes. That's true. That's true, because, you know, every one of us, you know, after a while, we watch ourselves. And you know, like you say, when you get older, it's harder to digest stuff as well. And it's, it's just a classic, uh, classic takes. And an eggplant is a perfect example, like you mentioned. It's, a, it's something that will absorb the oil, for sure. So you have to, you know, you could try and uh, bake it. And it comes, I think it just tastes just as good. It's not, it's not bad. I think you get some more of the eggplant flavor yeah. when you bake it, which is nice. Yeah, it's amazing stuff. Um, Frank Sinatra and your restaurant, it's synonymous. I mean, him and Jilly, it was like, it was, it was his New York hangout. It was always here. As a matter of fact, in the last two weeks, Frank Sinatra Jr. was here and Tina Sinatra was here. Tina Sinatra was in town to see the premiere of the HBO special about her dad. And Frank Jr. was performing in an event that I was fortunate enough to attend. And then he came in the next night with a, with a party of 14. And uh, it's amazing how uh, the tradition continues, not just with the Sinatra family, which is great, but, you know, so many families that come here and bring George their Clooney, in. George Clooney. I mean, his mom was a regular. <laughs> yes. It's funny. In the second cookbook, he has a quote. It's on the back of the book. And he says, since I have a picture of my mom eating at Patsy's Italian restaurant when she was pregnant with me, I can honestly say that I've been going to Patsy's Italian restaurant since before I was born. That's true. Great, great part of my life ever since. And it's funny. Talk about perfect timing. Him and his wife came in the day before the cookbook was released. And, uh... We did get a lot of press, <laughs> even though I didn't. You know, it's funny, those paparazzi must follow them around because all of a sudden, 8.30 at night became daylight when they walked out of their car. The flashes the flash were going off like crazy. Yeah, well, he is George Clooney. It's, that's, that's what happens. It's true. Um, you had a great Sinatra story. I just love that it. it's kind of touching. Patsy's is never open on Thanksgiving, right? That's correct, yeah. And Frank Sinatra's career, although everyone, we all think of it as just being one long home run, there were ups and downs. And, and there was a point in, in, I forget what, decade. In the or what, early 50s, he was down and out. Yeah, his, he was having trouble physically with his instrument. He was having trouble with his voice, with his throat. His voice was gone. The record company dropped. The record company dropped. Gone, uh, thank you. So talk about that. So he, he comes in. You, you tell the story. Yes, it was, it was before I was born. My, my grandfather, Pat, Pasquale Patsy, was here, and my father, Joe. And they were having, you know, like we eat in between lunch and dinner service. We eat like, you know, 3 or 4 o'clock. And they were there, and he, uh, he came in, and he says, um, hey, guys, how you doing? This dad, he says, he had a little bite to eat. He says, I want to come in tomorrow. He says, book me a table for one. The next day was Thanksgiving. And, you know, my grandfather didn't have the heart to say we're closed tomorrow. And to this day, Patsy's Italian restaurant, we still don't stay. We still don't stay open on Thanksgiving. But my grandfather told some of the waiters, please bring in, you know, your families. Come in. They were mumbling and grumbling. He told them it was for Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra came in the next day about 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He says to my grandfather, he says, gee, Patsy, it's a little quiet today. <laughs> it was empty. <laughs> Thanksgiving in the 50s. Think about it. It was an Italian restaurant. No one went out. Now, now more people go out. But he never, And my grandfather opened especially for him on that day. And, and, and Frank found out about it later on in his life, and he never forgot about it. You know? Yeah, it's great. He had a saying that he says, you know, all these people in the dining room that would normally buy me a drink or pay for my lunch, they won't even sit with me. And he says it's... Uh, they, they, they only come when the sun is shining, he says. In other words, like he was down and out, they didn't want to know who he was. And my grandfather always told him he was going to make a comeback, and he sure did. <laughs> yes, yeah, one big, big, long one. Um, a, a bunch of great recipes. Again, and I like the fact that in, in some of these you really made an effort to lighten up kind of the older style in a way that's more yeah. modern and maybe a bit fresher. One of the things that's, you know, you're, we're kind of spoiled once when you have a restaurant because you can you can walk into the, your kitchen, and you've got a, a walk-in box full of ingredients. You've got all sorts of stuff. Talk about seasoned breadcrumbs and how you make those, because that's something that's so interesting, and it's so basic. And I think you know, people at home, we, we, they buy those boxes of Progresso or whatever. It's, it's so much better to make your own. It's yeah. so much easier. I mean, all you have to do is take a, a day or two old um, 
stale bread, you know, Italian bread preferably. You put it in a food processor, chop it into crumbs, and then I mix it in a, in a big bowl with some, some regular olive oil, some garlic, salt, pepper, a little Parmesan cheese, a little parsley, touch of oregano, and, you know, you've got not, not too wet, but not too dry somewhere in between. You've got a beautiful seasoned breadcrumb. There's so many dishes, oregonata, like the clams yeah. oregonata. Yeah. There's just so many other ways to use. You could bread a veal cutlet or a chicken cutlet with it, and it just it makes it so much more tasty, and it's so simple. Something that's, you know, in a box, in a pinch, it's okay, but it's definitely better when it's fresh like that and using all the fresh ingredients. Yeah, and it's great. I mean, I think that's like a hallmark of what you do there. So, you know, the, uh, so place like yours, or you could buy a, the, the Cisco 25-pound bag of seasoned breadcrumbs, but, you know, you're making breadcrumbs from scratch. Well, and, you know, that, that's the philosophy my grandfather always taught yeah. me, and it's fun. You know, he, he passed in 86. I took over in 85. He got to see me before he, uh, before he passed away, and he, he made me promise I wasn't going to change the recipes. And I, I said, why would I? <laughs> yeah, and I, I remember that, that great story you told the first time that you cooked for Sinatra. And oh. he wanted he was going to measure, like, your cooking <laughs> versus your dad's and your grandfather's. That's tough. He came into the kitchen. He says, hey, kid. I says, yes, Mr. Sinatra. He says, you better cook as good as your pop does. I said, okay. <laughs> it was a little, little pressure. But you know what's amazing when you talk about Frank Sinatra, how everyone goes back to him, even a George Clooney we just mentioned. You know, Frank Sinatra brought in Rosemary Clooney, who brought in George Clooney. And Frank Sinatra, you know, especially Nancy Sinatra, very good friends with uh, Jerry Stiller and Ann Mira, and they brought their son Ben Stiller, who wrote the forward to my new book. And he wrote such a beautiful forward. Every time I read it, I get tears in my eyes. And he basically goes through his whole life that he's been coming. He knew my grandfather. Then he, you know, he knew my father was the chef and, and now me. And everything he remembers was, what can I make for you tonight? That's mm-hmm. what my grandfather said to him. And mm-hmm. now at the end of the, the forward that Ben Stiller wrote, he said, I'm looking forward to Sal's son taking over, and I can ask him, and he can come out and say, what can I make for you tonight? Oh, and you're, I wish you a shout-out to your boy, because he's really into food. Oh, my, my son Peter loves to cook. He's, he's, he's baking at an early age, so Pat, Sal Scognamillo has been my guest. Patsy's Italian Restaurant. There's only one location, New York City, West 50, south side of, what is it, 55th? 56 between 8th and Broadway. 56 between 8th and Broadway, right behind the athletic club. I have not been in there for too long. I'm going to come in. I'll probably bring my son with me, maybe his girl. Um, great cookbook. It's what, the, the, Give us the correct title of the cookbook. It's Patsy's Italian Family Cookbook. Everywhere books are sold, Amazon.com, our website, which is Patsy's.com. And uh, I'd love to, if you bring it into the restaurant, I'd love to sign it for you. Thank you so much. It's a great restaurant, an institution. Thanks for being in New York and staying in New York. And, folks, it's a great book. I, I can attest the uh, – I got to look at the recipes. This guy's good. It's old, thank, great, old-school Italian. Keep, keep up the good work. Thank you so much. So take we, care. We'll do that. We're going to take a quick break here at Heritage Radio Network, um, get a shout-out to some of the people that make this show possible, and we're going to be back with Deanna Henry uh, via phone interview from somewhere in New York City. But we'll be back with her in just a couple of minutes. Stay tuned. So if you want to make a great tomato sauce, where do you start? You start with great canned tomatoes. And what are the best? What's the gold standard? What are the best Italian restaurants use, you think? San Marzano tomatoes from southern Italy. You know, I've heard of San Marzano tomatoes, loved them, heard the whole legend thing, knew they were delicious, but I wanted to go visit the region. So sometime back, I don't know, 06, 07, we went to San Marzano in the middle of the packing season in August. They've got a really long growing season. Starts early spring, April, May, and runs all the way through October because the weather down there is beautiful. 
beautiful. You're along the coastline of uh, Naples there in the shadows of Mount Vesuvius. And these are really small family farms, really small, like a half an acre, an acre apiece. And that's how they make a living is harvesting these tomatoes. But what makes them great is the typicity of everything, the style of the tomato. It's kind of a long tomato with a really thin skin, super fleshy, super sweet tasting off the vine. Uh, we can Cento San Marzano tomatoes in the prime of the season, which is August. They just slow production down, handpick everything. Those little basil leaves, yeah, they're all put in there by hand as well. Uh, it is the best canned tomato I've ever had, and you're going to love them too. There's a reason chefs love these things. They're San Marzano authorized from the beginning. The factory gets inspected every year. Hey, you want to make great tomato sauce at home? Start with great tomatoes. Cento San Marzano. That's what I use. Hey, folks, Mike Calameco here. Years back when I had my own restaurant, I had to figure out what kind of oils to use, you know, try to make money in the restaurant business. So, uh, you know, the most expensive oil wasn't the choice, but I had to use an oil that was great, an oil that I would use at home and also for my customers. Came upon Colavita olive oil, um, which to this day still stands head and shoulders above everybody in that extra virgin category in the supermarket shelves. So much of the extra virgin category is dominated by labels that sound like they're Italian. You know, they end with an O or something like that. But the truth is they're tank farm blends that come out of Italy, but what's in the jar or the can is oils from all over the world that are just bought on price. It's commodity oils. Uh, Colavita is the only one that's an extra virgin that's 100% Italian origin traceable. It's a great company. They really built their brand on the U.S. market. They get the U.S. market. So if you're looking for a super extra virgin olive oil, use the one that I've been using for years on my table at home and in my restaurants, wherever I was hanging my chef's toque. And that would be Colavita extra virgin. True Italian, great oil. So my first trip to Portugal was 2013. It was a wine trip. A bunch of us flew over and toured the country top to bottom. Fell in love with the place. The food, the wine, the scenery, everything. Had to come back, which I did in 14, to film. And this time, eight days in country, top to bottom again. Food, wine, surfing, what's not to love? If you've never been to Portugal, it's an extraordinary place. Buffered on one side by the Atlantic Ocean, you've got great seafood great wines growing in all those regions you go a little inland you've got more great more great food incredible wine country of course port is the birthplace of ports up the Douro. But my takeaway was I thought I'd had a lot of varietals. Like I keep a list of 130, 135 varietals I've had over my life. Portugal has 250 of its own indigenous wine varietals. And they're killer good. A lot of them growing there for centuries. It has some of the oldest viticulture in Europe. Uh, the sparkling wines from the Bihada, the great reds coming down south from those regions. The, it, what's not to love? Crisp whites, beautiful full-bodied reds, port wine, sparkling wine. So if you're not familiar with the wines of Portugal, next time you spot by at your local wine store, ask about them. I love them. I'm drinking a lot of them these days, and I think you will, too. This is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hey, indeed you are. This is Mike Calameco. The show is Mike Calameco's Food Talker, or maybe it's Food Talk with Mike Calameco. I don't know. It's one of those two. Um, my guest, first-time guest, Deanna Henry, a British cookbook author. Several books out. I've got two of them that I've been looking at lately. How are you, Deanna? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. No, it's a busy day. We would love to have you in studio so we can get you out to Brooklyn so you could experience the Roberta. <laughs> the Brooklyn thing. The Brooklyn hipster thing full on. But I know you've got a busy day. You're doing something at 92nd Street. Why tonight? I've been in San Francisco, though. I think I really did have a big, big dose of the hipster thing already, I've got to say. Oh, yeah. that's You've, you've, you've hipstered out, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, everybody's tricking with kefir, you know, that's all there. <laughs> and you're doing an event tonight, a Q&A &A at the 92nd Street Y? Yes, it'll start at 7 o'clock. I'm going to be talking to Melissa Clark from the New York Times, and we're talking about, well, the aesthetics of cookbooks and what makes good food writing and all that kind of thing. Well, I, don't, I have lost count of how many cookbooks Melissa's either been a ghost author or an author of, but it's, it's got to be in the 40s or 50s at this point. Um, She's done a lot, but she, I have a collection of 4,000 myself at home. No way. Yeah, I do. I started buying them when I was about 12. People started buying them for me when I was about six because I was so keen. But I started at 12, and I've just kept on going. There isn't much room for any more, to be honest. And I have a lot of American ones as well. I really do like American ones. 
<laughs> I have, I had this. I, I don't have anywhere near that. I don't know how many I have. I, I have to. I have a, a ton. I actually had to have a carpenter come in and build me a wall of bookshelves at one point, just like to house them. And now that's maxed out. So I don't know what what I do next. Start recycling the old ones. I don't know what to do about that. But anyway, let's talk about a book that you wrote a couple of years ago. What mm-hmm. before we get? What's the newest one called? What's the title? The newest one is called A Bird in the Hand. It's well, that is the newest one. for every day and every mood. Well, so it's all chicken because when I went, whenever I went around the country and did talks or met readers, that's what they'd always say. They had no ideas for what they could do with chicken. And people cook it probably about three times a week, I should say. So I thought it would be really, I thought it would be a really useful book. But also we've started to kind of, I think, not value it enough. Chicken, we think it's a really go-to cheap thing. And I was brought up because my grandfather was a poultry farmer and a dairy farmer. I was brought up to really appreciate chicken. I was taught to kind of get all the bits of it, including, you know, those little pads, the oysters underneath the birds? I know them because I worked in French. It's like one of my, right, right. And you're right. You know, you're so – chicken is like one of the most versatile things. And nowadays there's some really good chicken out there. I mean I always tell people, please, please, please do me a favor. If you're going to eat chicken, don't buy Frank Perdue or don't buy Tyson. Find a good bird. Find an Amish bird or a – You need a good bird. That will always taste better, although I kind of never blame people if if they're buying the – you know, what they can afford and it's still cheap. It's better to cook from scratch and not to cook at all. But yeah, the kind of lower, the slower grown the bird is, the better it will taste basically. Yeah. And it's good if they've been treated well. And for people like us that are totally into chickens, you, I almost divide, and I love the way your book is, um, when I cook chickens, I look at, it's almost like two different animals. The breast I handle one way and the thighs yeah. and drumstick and wings I handle another way. And I, yeah. I, my, I mean, the breasts are great, but a little trickier to cook. Um, they can be, if you're not careful, a little less flavorful in some ways. You kind of need to gussy them up a little bit. But, man, they I... They can dry out very easily as well. I tend, I've got to say, I, I cook those pretty rarely. And if I do, I poach them and then they might, I let them cool and slice them and they'll go into a salad. I cook thighs all the Thank time. Thank you. Thank you. Either, you know, with the bone in and the skin on yep. and a sprinkling of salt so that they really crisp up or... Um, just filleted so you have the the skin and the and the bone are gone and then you can put them you can grill them i really like that and it's the most it is the most kind of succulent bit of the bird apart from the wings i mean you just get a much better flavor with thighs and they're almost impossible to overcook i mean they they braise well they grill well they're very very they're very accommodating of the of the kind of of a person is not a very good cook you're right it is really difficult to cook them too much but they'll do in a saute or something like that they'll be cooked within about 40 minutes so they're not they're not difficult to cook and i do another thing a lot which i've read described over here as braise roasting i kind of do this thing where i will put the vegetables underneath the chicken thighs all into a, a shallow i use a la creuse which is about 30 centimeters across and then i'll add stock or dry vermouth or something and then i'll oil the, the top of the, the the skin put a good sprinkling of salt on it and what happens if you put that in the oven is that you haven't had to you haven't had to brine the chicken at all or the vegetables they will just the, the chicken will brine as it cooks in the oven and at the same time a sauce will be made and it will also reduce so you end up with a dish that has you know you've really hardly done anything to it but you've got chicken that's crispy and lovely and you've got the vegetables underneath and you've got a lovely sauce talk about because another thing i try and educate people about is buying good birds buying whole birds because they're so easy to butcher i don't know why people are afraid of like it, it the chicken may as well have come with zippers or Velcro. It's so easy <laughs> to, to get that knife underneath that thigh bone, just crack it off, find the joint between the drumstick, and then even bone them out. But m- what I'm getting at is one of the other advantages, it's, it's going to be a fresher bird. It's going to be less per pound because you're buying it whole. And it is more economical. More yeah, economical. I've got to admit, though, that I rarely do it myself. I get my butcher to joint it for me. I do it all the time. But, but here's my takeaway. You get to make chicken stock. Talk about homemade oh, stock yes. because I, I just – it's. If you buy the whole bird, one of the great advantages is when you're done, you've got this carcass, and it's so – I mean, you don't even have to do the mirepoix thing. Just chop it up a little bit, put it in the pan with some water, bring it to a simmer, skim the top foam that comes off, and let it go for an hour and a half. Oh, it's so completely not hands-on at all. And I've got to say, the smell of that, I think that's the smell of a a good home, where you smell that and the celery and the carrot and the parsley that's in it. I think that's a kind of wonderful thing to have imbuing the whole house. 
and I wouldn't I don't wouldn't dream of throwing uh, carcasses on. I know some cooks who actually they will if they are they're too busy they're too pushed they don't want to do stock at the time they'll freeze the yep. leftover bones and then they'll defrost them and cook a stock from those. You've got a dish here that's intriguing to me, and talk to me about it. It's, it's, I think it's a cumin and turmeric roast chicken. Oh, the one with the the one that comes with the avocado. Yes, with avocado yeah. and like a little k- kind of a cake thing. You mash the avocado. Talk about that dish. That just sounds great. Uh, well, it's really it's a kind of really good midweek meal. You've got to you've got to mix up. Um, Cumin and some mustard and turmeric with some butter, and you paste that on the top of the thighs, mm. and then you roast those. And on the side, I, I get I eat guacamole quite a lot, and you get quite tired of it. It's the same kind of flavors, but I love avocado, so I wanted to do something on the side that was just a little bit different, that would go well with what's quite highly flavored and spicy. So it's kind of milder, but also slightly piquant. So instead of chopping the avocados, I take the flesh out and I put put it into a mortar and pestle. And I kind of crush it a bit, not too much. And then I add some sherry vinegar, which gives it a nice sweetness and slight woodiness. And then this will sound kind of odd, but then I put in a dollop of creme fraiche and salt and pepper. And that works really well. And I serve that with corn cake. Yes. So it's... In some ways, it's kind of inspired by, you know, obvious Mexican meals. But at the same time, it's just slightly different. I first tasted a dish like this in a, it's a Californian restaurant in London. The woman who owns it, she trained with Alice Waters at Chez Panis, and she cooked a dish like that. And sometimes that happens. You go to a restaurant, you have a dish, and you think, how can I do that at home but less complicatedly? And that was what I came up with. And people do love that dish. It's great. No, it really jumped out to me because um, it's got all the flavors I like. It's not not that complicated. Another thing I saw, because now we're heading into spring finally. We had a really bad winter here in the Northeast. But you have this wonderful uh, dish that's um, it's chicken with spring vegetables, herbed cream, oh, yeah. leeks, peas, fava beans, carrots, and this broth. Talk about that, because that just looks so light. That just screams spring to me. It is very light. It, requ- it does require kind of you to be careful when you're cooking that, because I poach the chicken, um, the the different joints, it's a breast here, in um, chicken stock that I've already made. And the chicken stock should be quite clear. It shouldn't be too dark. It should be quite pale. Otherwise, it doesn't look so good. And then I cook some of the vegetables um, separately, like the carrots, but the peas and the broad beans, I put them in with the chicken at the last minute. So you're left with something that's a, a piece of chicken, which is pale and beautiful, with all the vegetables around it, but with a kind of broth. And then I use creme fraiche chopped up with fresh herbs and shallots. You can put um, capers in as well if you want to, but that then is spooned over the top. So it's very fresh. It's very light despite the fact there's cream in it. It's just, it is a real celebration of spring. It's a great, it, it's, it's, it's a great book. I mean, uh, thanks for writing it because I think for f- people like me with chicken, I, I could eat chicken four or five nights a week. My wife, not so much, but whatever. Um, but, You've uh, got to try the Turkish spice chicken with the hot green relish. When people say, which one do you do first? It's that one. It's on page 32. It's on the table in 15 minutes. And it's knockout. Thank you. Thanks for coming on the show. Have fun tonight. Tell Melissa Clark I said hi. Deanna Henry's I will do. been my guest. Thank and you very much, thank, Mike. Thank you, thank you. A Bird in Hand is the name of the book. It is great. If you love cooking chicken, there's 100, and pl- 100 plus recipes that are all spot on. We've got one more guest coming on. It's a great New York entrepreneur story. Um, Anita Shepard's going to be here talking about, well, I'll let her tell you what she does. Stay tuned. We'll be back together in just a minute.
Hey, what's up? This is John Norris, and you're listening to the Heritage Radio Network. So Anita Shepard's my guest, and somehow you got on my radar. I was on like a two-and-a-half-week trip halfway around the world with a couple of New York friends, Neil and um, King from Kumin. Yep. Um, so how do, you, how do you know those guys? Neil, I know through Smorgasburg because mm. I used to do Smorgasburg ba- mm. way back when. And then I started working for my friends, Dan and Danielle, Chickpea and Olive, um, for fun. And he was next door. So we would always be talking food, bringing in like breakfast ingredients and we would throw stuff on the grill and like every, all the vendors would just like throw breakfast together. And at the time I was experimenting with the yogurt. Tell me about this. So Okay. <laughs> Yogurt. What is yogurt? Let's do like yogurt 101. Yes. Because, I mean, <laughs> yogurt can be made with mm-hmm. normally dairy. It can yeah. be cow's milk. Mm-hmm. can be goat's milk. can be sheep's milk. Mm-hmm. But you decided to do a yogurt with what? Coconut milk. Totally different. Totally different thing. Yeah. Not an animal product, but Not a plant product. product. Yeah. What gave you this idea? Why? I was a pastry chef, pastry cook when I was not vegan. Uh, working in the pastry world, making like, you know, cupcakes with bacon in them and just animal products like crazy. And I kind of like overdosed on animal products. Every day I was eating, you know, products laden with cream. And even, you know, some of the some of them even had lard. It was like a really like animal product heavy type of uh, chef porno. Yes, we don't we exactly. don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I know. We're stuck I know. in kitchens and we make stuff to amuse ourselves. Exactly. So Can it, I say it, this? Mm-hmm. I'm eating this. Mm-hmm. It's like my third spoonful. Um, my mouth's watering. Great. This is great. Is this now the flavor that's coming from this is just naturally from the coconut milk? Or do you get extra coconut in it? It's coconut milk and coconut water mm. and live cultures. And those are the only three ingredients. Um, so yeah, I was just super unhealthy and just wanted to go the opposite extreme. So I went vegan. And then after going vegan, I could not find a yogurt that I liked because most non-dairy yogurts are not really yogurt. They're pudding and they add a little bit of yogurt flavor. I never even heard of non-dairy yogurt. Oh, I wow. Okay. I know, but I guess I'm not yeah. in that, I'm not in that aisle of Whole Foods or something. <laughs> so how did you do your research? Has anyone, um, had anyone ever done this before? Uh, not to this degree. There are other non-dairy yogurts out there that claim to have like less ingredients than the ones that are processed. The ones that are processed have maybe like 17, 20 ingredients. And you mentioned um, the pudding-like consistency mm-hmm. yeah. because what they're what they're doing is mm-hmm. I'm not saying cheating, but normally they are when you cheating. they're cheating. Normally <laughs> when you make yogurt, you're setting up a culture because yeah. that's how the milk. It's like making cheese in a way. It's the same yeah. kind of thing. It's kind of like a cheese making process mm-hmm. where you, there's an Except, enzyme reaction yeah. and a culture and it sets and you, now you have yogurt. But you're doing this with the non-dairy, so yeah. so the stuff that I have that's in that space, you know, it's like full of emulsifiers and starches and binders, and as you said. Yeah. This sixteen and seventeen ingredient list. Right. So how did you like throw your head at this? How did you start it at home with a vat of coconut milk? Yeah, I, just, just, I started at home with super small batches. I was making it a quart at a time, and um, it was a long process. It took a long time to to tweak and figure out because by default, everyone said just add a starch, just add tapioca, just add an emulsifier, a thickener, all that stuff. Um, and I just refuse to do that because my whole philosophy is I went vegan to simplify things. And why would I eat a more processed product when if I wasn't vegan, I would just be eating a product that had cow's milk and cultures. It doesn't make more sense to me that I would choose a product that all of a sudden had like 15 ingredients. What's the whole point of being vegan for me? So. Yeah, I'm not going to ask you because it's proprietary. Okay. But how? Do, I mean, you want to just basically because I'm yeah. as a chef, yeah. the chef. I mean, all mm-hmm. I've ever done before I started mm-hmm. doing media nonsense was right. my whole world was mm-hmm. going in the employees' entrance, changing into a uniform, yeah. and doing 15-hour shifts in restaurants. So mm-hmm. I'm looking at this thing. How did you turn coconut milk into this? It took a lot of tweaking. Um, so, so with yogurt, there's different variables that. Uh, give you the results you want. There's the temperature, there's the fermentation time, there's the pH, um, there are, there's the, you know, the water content, there is the protein content, there's all kinds of different like variables that you have to tweak. 
um, the difficult part is when you change one. It's like working a Rubik's cube. Chemistry. You change one thing and it throws everything and else off. And it's kind of like baking. So you're good that way. I mean, that's where I like my wife's a baker. Right. I'm a chef. And that's my background. And baking, baking to me is like it's like classical music. It's like you do it the <laughs> right way or, it's, or it sucks. And I can't tell you how many yeah. times I have baked and just maybe did the process slightly off or the butter mm-hmm. was a little too warm or I overworked it on the mixer. And the results are just night because it's chemistry. Well, You've got to do it right. The the beauty of it is, though, it's like any other kind of art. When you get good at it, you can break the rules. And that's where you make breakthroughs. Well, and I, I never got good at I, it. So I always tell way. people that, that a lot of people say chemistry is this exact science and it has to be exact. But I to try to get people to not be scared of trying it because it's so much fun, I say, if you just keep at it and, and you do like replicate something enough times... The, the best stuff that you're going to make is when you do start breaking the rules. So don't be scared mm. to when you're baking, like break the rules every once in a while because that's when you make discoveries. So you're in your apartment say. at home, you're in a test kitchen, where are you playing with this? So for most of the development of that, I was in my home kitchen. Um, eventually I started making it. Uh, I was renting kitchen time from Brooklyn Soda Works and other food manufacturer. And then when I got too big for their... Um, I started using a, a shared commercial kitchen in Queens, and now I have my own uh, yoga facility in East Williamsburg. Um, and our challenge now is scaling up the recipe so that we can meet demand because um, it's totally different equipment now. It's a it's a different ball game. So where were, the name of the product is Anita's mm-hmm. Cream Line Coconut Yogurt. Yep. Brown packaging. Is that the right color with kind of a blue filigree? Am yep. I describing that correctly? I love the way you're describing it. That's perfect. I mean, I'm really bad with this sort of stuff. I'm a guy. I don't like to do colors. Um, filigree. Filigree. I mean, yeah, that was big for me. That was huge. That was, I feel like I did yeah. something. Awesome. Four neurons I have left work. But as I remember, before you came in, I emailed you like, where can I find your right. stuff? And mm-hmm. it, you're not, you, you are in Whole Foods, but you're not because you you're waiting to right. resupply them. Yeah, so the, the full list of stores is on anitas.co slash locations, but we are not in production right now because we're doing product development to get the small flavors right, to get uh, the recipe scaled up on our new equipment. Because um, you're going to start to do what I had was your basic yep, coconut plain. flavored, and I have to tell you, I'm taking this home, and no I don't know problem. if this is going to make it through the night. I don't know if I get the munchies later. It's on, addictive. Watch I, out. I know it's addictive. Calories? It Should I worry about calories? Yeah, it's very fat. It, it's it's a full fat product because for me, uh, I don't do low fat. I don't do reduced fat. I just go full fat, and this so is what totally so fat meaning. So so the the coconut that we use is the least processed coconut milk we could find and when it's the least processed it has the highest fat content which is what though like like milk um, is 4% which doesn't bother me oh okay so I've never compared it to dairy that's an interesting question alright I'll ask um, you next time you're on the show okay. find out the answer <laughs> so, so now you're yeah. going to turn that into mm-hmm. these little guys which are yep. kind of like smaller single servings mm-hmm. 3 ounces 2 ounces it's 4.5 4.5 yeah. I should have guessed it looks like a 4 ounce ladle <laughs> But so it's going to be yogurt on top and stuff on the bottom. Flavors like um, artisan, like yeah. berries and nuts and honey and all. Well, we're only going to start with three flavors, really simple. So it's going to be pretty much fruit. But um, the beauty of it is there is no other yogurt that has a raw fruit flavor. They're all highly processed, high temperature processed. But because we already have such a short shelf life, this product only has a three week shelf life because um, it doesn't have any preservatives additives. Uh, we can make the fruit filling raw. So this is going to be the first yogurt that you can get a raw, unprocessed. Those blueberries haven't been heat treated at all. You're going to eat it and you're going to taste like you just so made this. So what did this. you do to them? You just mashed them up? Because it looks, I mean... Uh, it, we didn't just match them up. I'm a sure lot of didn't, I'm sure they weren't sitting there matching them up. This what? is part of the crazy product development that's going on right now is figuring out how to make it like one of those nice kind of like jams. But, but less manipulated and exactly. not cooked and no sugar added yeah, and, no and pectin and all that stuff. No preservatives. So it takes a lot of product. So this is all super clean. So it's yeah. it's vegan, vegetarian, mm-hmm. and it's going to have fruit in it. I mean, this is – you got to be careful. I think the <laughs> next time I'm going to try and get you on the show, you're going to be like, mm-hmm. dude, I sold the company. <laughs> I I live in Costa Rica now. I've got a penthouse on Fifth Avenue. Oh, wow. Thanks for saying that. I need to hear that right now, but thank you. But the So the big one is is great for, for people who do like to cook because you can put it 
not just like in a morning smoothie. You can do simple stuff, but it's also great in like pasta sauces, anything you want to so make is, creamy. So this will take heat. This I can use this like creme fraiche it, finishing something. Yeah. So it'll melt, but it can definitely take heat. You'll still get the flavor. I wouldn't like put it in something you're going to boil, but no, I but finish but, a lot of sauces Right, that's with what I'm it. saying. So normally at home, yeah. I'm making something and I, you mm-hmm. know, chefs love butter and we love oil. So normally it would be that tablespoon of butter mm-hmm. or I'd pour some heavy cream when no one's mm-hmm. looking or a dollop of creme fraiche because yep. it's going to kind of disin- it's going to disappear and give it's going to bring everything together it's going to bind everything it acts as the mm-hmm. thickener and then it's going to give you this glossy mouthfeel that exactly. we all love as chefs yes. and people in the and audience. I miss that yeah. when I went vegan and now we got it back this is delicious I mean this yeah. is I'm telling you I don't know if I can oh I have to finish this because I'm going to Peru <laughs> in two days good this there's go. more I'll give you some more okay. when you come back <laughs> well thanks so, so when you do roll out finally mm-hmm. where will we find you in the New York metro um, so it, the full list of stores again is on Anita's.co. It's in a lot of like small local stores like Foragers that are in New York, Union Market. It's also in Whole Foods. And um, we're going to be um, expanding to um, more stores outside of New York. Right now they're only in New York City, but um, Jersey, Connecticut, um, a few surrounding areas. That's going to happen later this year. Investors? No, not at this point. Good but, for you. Good uh, for you. I, I might have, you know, you never know. No, as that's we great. expand, good for it's you. I love it. So, this is a great Brooklyn, Queens, New York DIY startup. Yeah. Filling it's all in. Bootstrapped. Yeah, creating <laughs> something in a space that hasn't existed before. Congratulations, yeah. Anita. Thank you. Thanks so much for waiting patiently and coming on. We appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much. All right. The name of the product is Anita's Cream Line Coconut. Look for it. Go to our website. Google it. Find it. Create demand pent up so when Whole Foods gets it, it flies off the shelves. And trust me i don't shill for things i don't like this this is really delicious it's great oh, thank you. good for you you've been right. listening to my colonicos food talk i will not be here next week because i will be in peru but you'll hear about that the week after and the week after that i'll be in sicily and you hear about that the week after so the shows are going to be kind of bouncing around for the next few weeks uh stay tuned we always play great ones in the space when i'm not here and you'll get to hear all about peru in two weeks be well folks we'll see you then listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.